know what really makes us mad? Is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Talk about punk! What's up, posers? Welcome to Fuck Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. And I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And today we are joined by Matt and Garrett from the band Petrov, based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. They recently put out a new EP, Flowerbed, on Self-Aware Records, who uh, we've also had Josh and Sarah on the show in the past. And it's a pretty good conversation. Uh, Dylan, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the 2004 album, Almost a Rock Opera, Is a Real Boy by Say Anything. A lot to talk about. We jumped around a lot. This is this conversation was more like on topic, I guess, than some of our more recent ones have been. Like we didn't digress a ton. Like we talked about the record or yeah. at least say anything at least for the, the band. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you're a fan of uh, <laughs> staying on topic. Then this is the one for you. It's kind of an iconic record, so um, definitely worth talking about. Actually, it just dawned on me as we're recording this now, this is actually going to be our last episode of 2020 with guests. Oh. We decided that uh, since the holidays are coming up, and as of this episode going up, it's, we're past Thanksgiving, so we skipped the week of Thanksgiving. Had two episodes to post, and then... Our radio episode we will take a week off for christmas and then we'll do our best of the 2020s now the best of the 2020 not 2020s 2020 there's only been one year we're, in 2020 we're, pre- we're predicting that uh, yeah. <laughs> everything that came out this year is going to be the best thing from the next following decade so we're yeah we'll talk about everything that came out in 2020 that we were enjoying and don't know what that's going to look like yet we haven't discussed that yet, but uh, we will definitely, you will not only hear our voices during the best of 2020s, so uh, we'll do something similar to last year with our voicemail line and uh, having all of our past guests chime in, if, as many as we can get. So um, yeah, look forward to that and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode.
for the sake of the listeners, could you each introduce yourselves, though, so that we can differentiate voices? You go first. Are you pointing <laughs> at me? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm Matt, and I uh, play bass. And I'm Garrett, and I play drums in Petrop. Nice. Uh, Petrop five-piece, right? True. Yeah. yeah. Um, you just recently put out your second EP on Self-Aware Records. Uh, it's called Flower Bed. And uh, how has the reaction been? I think people, it's been pretty, people are pretty receptive to it. I'd say yeah. so. like to think so, at least. Haven't come across the super bashing on it articles yeah. yet, so that's good. Pandemic times is not, obviously not ideal for releasing an album. So all you got is just like online promotion. Which is important, but like we can't play like legitimate shows or anything to get it out there. But so far, it's people seem to not hate it. So, yep, that's all we can ask for. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, our uh, friend of the show, uh, Steve Doesn't, who runs the Doesn't Suck, which is a blog, he was really uh, talking to your EP up on there. Oh, thanks. He's uh, he he's one of those guys too that like he goes deep into Bandcamp and tries like almost everything that's out there like that was released within the week or so and like he compiles like a list for throughout the month and uh, I definitely think he found yours just diving into Bandcamp. I don't I don't know that he because he lives in Vancouver I believe. Vancouver, He's definitely yeah. yeah. Huh. So I think he's British Columbia. Yeah. I think I he very just totally, respect that. <laughs> He totally just like came across it. I mean, he may have found it through recommending it on our page, but yeah. And you know, I remember the name of that of his doesn't suck at you know on some like comment or saying like, "Hey, we did a review," and I remember I like the name, and so that's it's very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. he's a great writer. He's friend on Twitter. Yeah, you know, it's probably on Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was gonna ask about like COVID. So was uh, was flower bed made? pre-lockdown or did you uh, all work on it while everybody was at home uh the songs were for the most part good to go pre-pandemic yeah no it was all recorded and like finalized uh june may june of this year yeah i think we were like just about to finally lock in the date for recording where we were where we recorded at uh, archer avenue in columbia with Kenny McWilliams, and then everything hit, and it just kind of was like, okay, maybe next month we'll see how things are, maybe next month, maybe next month, until it was about June, and then by then we at least kind of understood enough about, like, how to use masks and sanitizer, and to make it at least as safe as possible in a bubble, and just super precautionary, still not ideal to have to do it in that time, but we were confident and felt safe with five people all doing the right things, and all of that, that we were like, okay, let's Let's just get in and out and do this and record it it's as safe as we can. Yeah. So that was everybody. Cute. Hold your breath. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Mm. Did everybody just go down at one time and just stay together? We drove back and forth every day um, for five days, but Charlotte's, you know, only it was uh, yeah, forty-five or what, what was I forget now? An hour and a ten or something. It, about an hour or so. It's not a bad drive. Down seventy-seven, pretty much. Yeah. So it wasn't too bad. Yeah, uh, North Carolina people will know the 77 route, <laughs> for sure. Shout out 77! <laughs> I hate 77 so much. I used to work in Port Mill, and I had to take it every day to work, and it, I loathe it. Of course. Let's see, when did, uh, how long has Petro been a band? I know the last EP came out in 2019. When did you start? 
Uh, you know, it's funny. I just realized that on our in, on the about us thing on Spotify, it said that I think I put that uh, Sleep Year, the first EP came out in 2018. Put it or wait, was was it 18 or 19? Now I forget which the real one and which the wrong one I put it. No, I think it was 18 because we recorded it and we played our first show. Oh, oh then I had it right. I thought I did something wrong. Yeah. I don't know. We well, so what? We were bad. Eighteen, I guess, or was it seventeen for a year before we did it in eighteen? No, I think I, it was yeah. nineteen. Flower or uh, sleep here? No, was it? Bandcamp says March fifteenth, twenty nineteen. I knew it. Yeah, okay. I had twenty eighteen okay. on our thing for so long, and then <laughs> so we recorded right. it back in eighteen, right? It just took forever to get out. I guess. Yeah, Either we were... 2017 or 18 is when we <laughs> formed and played for like a year uh, getting the songs down before even like playing our first show or anything. Right? Did I make that up? That's what it was, right? Yeah, I think me, you, Mike, and Sig got together in 2017. We fucked around for a bit. Yeah, there then were When Mary changes. Grace came in in 18, then we became the band. That sounds right. I'm pretty familiar with the Charlotte scene. Were you in any bands prior that I would have heard of? Uh, Me and Matt, probably out of all yeah. of us, maybe some. You were uh, like, you, you do your list of creds. Um, a band years ago called The Local Traumatic, but probably the most recent one is uh, Kuzco, an instrumental, instrumental math rock band. I heard the name Instrumathematical. Yeah. I was in a first long time ago, Lo and Behold. God, this is going to sound very vain. <laughs> kind of hardcore band Richard Parker. Oh, old, yeah. old Souls is what um, Dick Parker became into Dick Parker. <laughs> um, all right. They're actually playing tonight at Neighborhood Theater for this live stream thing. Seems really cool. It's with Josh and Sarah and All Right, who are Self Aware Records, who put both our EPs out for a while. Love yeah, we got to try and get fun. on one of those. I just saw it. part of that. I Part of Faye's set on that before the call. Oh, cool. watching that. Heard they look very good and sound great. The the streams. Yeah, the quality of the most, streams is great. Like it's like pro shot looking stuff. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Nice. We, we might not ever need to go back to live <laughs> real live music. <laughs> Don't say that. No. <laughs> I can sit on my couch. <laughs> that does sound good. Also, uh, er, er, Ernie was the la- the last latest one, probably before Olds. I mean, uh, Petrov. Um, friend Lamont and Ernie but yep that, that's the list I remember various Richard fans Parker. you probably haven't heard of I remember Richard Parker um, okay. we played a bunch of shows with Oddsar back in the day oh yeah oh, so, yeah. Like, very best bros with Oddsar yeah. what was that band uh, Cinder and Smoke Okay, sounds we familiar. never made it to Charlotte uh, we did like the closest we got was the bonus room I don't know if you ever got to play oh that. yeah <laughs> I played a lot of shows at the bonus where was that room. why that sounds so it was a, too. it was a couple different things but they used to do um like it, did you play when it was in the movie theater yeah, yeah. in the, in yeah. the old palace yeah uh, I remember Dang. my old my old band Little Traumatic we played a couple George Fests there those were <laughs> a lot of fun fest. yeah really? yeah they had some of the like the Egyptian, like Sphinx foam mm-hmm. statue things, mm-hmm. still there. And they, one of the guys, one of the guys in one of the hardcore bands that played the show was like, "Yeah, you can just like jab the head of your guitar into it if you want to. Like you can do anything." It was that place uh, was really cool for when they had it, like what they were doing with it. But obviously, yeah, it was not meant to last. <laughs> <laughs> 
It definitely had some weirdness to it. I guess for the yeah. listeners' sake, who's unfamiliar with the bonus room, um, the it was five room. the boner yeah. five room. That's yeah. definitely how it was written out. The S was a five. <laughs> um, it was a movie theater that had shut down and was basically being used as multiple different small businesses. There was a and, church and yeah, mm-hmm. one of the theaters. And so, like, one of the theaters got rented out to be used as a music space. And it was, like, a lot of, like, high school bands, some smaller hardcore bands. Um, I don't know if there was any touring bands that ever really came through there. Can't think of very many. But, um... Sounds beautiful. The the funniest thing about it, though, was that the the guy who ran the place would always ask you, like, who you were there to see. Like, which band on the bill you were there to see. So, I don't know if it was like he was trying to figure out who the draw was. I bet that was, was it. Probably. They were going to give you a book money. Yeah. Yeah, because he would take money for it. And then he would, I think he did pay the bands for the most part. But it was like, yeah, whoever got the most tallies on his sheet got right. like probably the most money out of it. Mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> it was uh, a good sounding room, though. But, I mean, it was a... It was a movie theater, like he was like, yeah. acoustically treated. <laughs> That's very cool. Uh, yeah, we know Josh and Sarah pretty well. Uh, we've had both of them on the show, and uh, Susie as well from Faye. Um, oh, nice. How did uh, how did you get set up working with Self Aware? Was it just from being around the area and knowing them from shows? Yeah, and just forever, you know, here supporting everybody mm-hmm. and. I mean, being in the band all right helped form a much closer friendship with them. <laughs> got really close and did my first, really, uh, or maybe it was second. I've only really done like two real tours ever, and that was one of them with them up to like Providence and back, and it was super fun. Got back and just remained friends with them even after not being in it, and just I think we we formed. I oh, well, I think they had seen our first show that we played, which was lucky enough to be the a uh, junior astronomer's birthday show and after i think it was after they saw that and she's like you know if you guys ever put and girls any put ever put anything out um hit us up and we did because we're like yeah why not they're great and yeah. it just worked out from there yeah they're they're a cornerstone of the music scene for sure yeah uh, i was trying to think i forgot i forgot you just said that you were in all right i guess you played played before john joined yes. them yes Yes, precisely. I believe, uh, well, it was Scott, I guess. Scott, like, of Lunchbox Records and Late Bloomer, I think, was drumming for them and just kind of didn't have time and stuff. And I was like, I'll do it. And then John after me, yep. Yeah, that's funny. They're, what, on their fourth drummer now? (laughs) (laughs) Something like uh, that. I guess COVID made the recording process weird. Has it really affected the plans for the band were you were you hoping to do a tour for the ep or was it going to be mainly like local stuff anyway uh, we did have a, a short like a uh, long weekend thing planned in april trying to put our name out there before we went to record but then that got shot down real quick i think we had gotten the last yeah. band to confirm after so much back and forth of getting the band to like stick on in richmond and stuff and it was like super confirmed yes and it was like a week later i want to say like None of these are going to happen. Mm-hmm. It was very sad. Does everyone remember whenever we were like, maybe we'll have shows in June? No, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. I remember from work when they're like, all right, we're going to work home. We'll probably be till even like the end of the month, you guys. Like, this is good. This is serious. Like, wow. I don't know mm-hmm. why. 
we thought America was going to handle that. <laughs> Silly us. <laughs> we got this. It's no problem. Mm-hmm. We're going to kick it with Donald Trump as our president. <laughs> and oh, the Republican yeah. Senate. Nipped right in the bud. <laughs> uh, last thing I wanted to say is that I, I thought that uh, Sleepier's production was... Uh, a bit of a step up. Not to say that the previous EP sounds bad, but like this one sounds big. Like there's a really cool tone to the whole record. Was this like a, a specific direction you were trying to go for, or was it just working with your uh, with the uh, Kenny McWilliams? Kenny was think... a big part of it. Yeah, he definitely was. He's great. It was so. Pullover is another band in Charlotte that had just recorded there, and Modern Moxie both had just recorded with him. They both all. Both albums sounded great. We're like, where'd you do that? And Phil in um, Pullover was told us where. And we're like, let's consider that. Then sounds so good. And I think just the number of days we had. I think the first EP was, I want to say it was three days only, right? I keep mm-hmm. getting mixed up details for yeah, six it was, songs. It was definitely not is, more than four. Right. Three or four days for six songs. This was five days for five songs so it's just you could we could devote so much more time to each one and he really went back and like went through everything to get the exact perfect take and really did a lot of producer role too for this one you know helping with harmonies and all that kind of thing and and i think was maybe a tonal thing that it was different michael backland our one of our two guitar players sid littles the other one mike was all about this idea of two amps, I guess. Like one amp is on this side of them, and then the other amps on the other side, like a other. I don't understand it really still, but <laughs> they did that. I think both of them are. I think both of them did some form of that recording with two amps and two mics, like for everything they're doing. So I think that added this whole kind of wall of soundiness to it that was definitely not there for the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot more production tricks in general. It's made everything just better. We're like, let's just go full pop, you know? No shame anymore. We don't have to sound like the vocals are low, like just another instrument. You can't really hear them or anything. Like for the indie cred stuff, we're like, let's go full pop, bombastic, clean, whatever. Well, it sounds great. And uh, the extra time on it, uh, and the producer, I guess, engineer, mm-hmm. uh, definitely uh, makes it shine a little more. I mean, I love the first EP as well, but uh, this one just feels a little bit more glossy, I guess. Thanks. Dave Harris at yeah. Studio B Mastering also was mastering and deserves credit to. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, I guess we can get into the format of the show. So. I'm so psyched. <laughs> I've been like Basically. studying like I'm in school again, going back over everything <laughs> of this album. It's a long ass album. Oh, but we got other stuff first. I forgot. My bad. We do. So. We gave you the year 2004. Don't want to be an American idiot. Don't want a nation under the new media.
The uh, 2004, Dylan. You, you. I like to have you lead us off in the uh, what else came out that year in the world of punk. Um. Well, I mean, just the broader pop culture too. I feel like this paints a picture. Um. This is the year of American Idiot by Green Day. That was my suggestion. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to do. Also, the film Dodgeball. Oh. Gosh. <laughs> Uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, that that takes me right back instantly. <laughs> this is also the year of plenty of it's really like the absolute peak of the um, the post-punk revival, the mm-hmm. whatever you want to call that. I don't think that the name post-punk revival actually makes any sense <laughs> if you consider the influences of those bands. But it would just be like punk revival, I guess, because it's yeah. after the punk like. <laughs> I mean, Rock you've track. got Brian yeah, Ferdinand, who... Hot Fuss by the Killers. That's um, a couple Just, other ones. There was a, I want to say there was a Hives record too. Oh yeah, Inter- an Interpol yes. record. Yeah. Yep. The, oh yeah. The Libertines. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. Um, I think Mary Grace wanted to do a Descendants one more. Yeah, that's, yeah. I guess that's the big Descendants comeback record. Yeah. For, well. Before the new comeback record. Yeah. It, the second comeback record, because there was the 90s one, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I guess for, for the listener's sake, uh, when I originally reached out to the, to the band, I was going to have two different people <laughs> on this show, and they couldn't agree on what album to talk about. So uh, <laughs> what would they have picked if uh, they <laughs> stayed on? I think so. Mary Grace, definitely Descendants, Cool to Be You was one, and then I think her and me both were into Catch for Us, The Foxes, Me Without You was in their potential. Um, I can't remember other ones for her specifically. Sid, me and Sid love Mastodon, so Mastodon <laughs> Leviathan was 2004 too, but I thought maybe it leaned a little too metal, straight up metally or something for this, and then uh, he was into I think he was into the Interpol one too as a potential. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hot Fuss, me and Matt probably could have equally talked about Hot Fuss. Hot Fuss is yeah. like one of my just top five albums probably all time, which, but this one seemed more in line for the purposes of this as well. Um, and then for me, These Arms Are Snakes, Oxeneers, or The Lion Sleeps, When It's Antelope, Go Home, another favorite. That was another potential. But we kind of wanted to just pick one that you know we could have multiple ones of us have a lot of substance to talk about, I guess. And I think... A year, oh, well, yeah, Matt, you said American Idiot was a was your other choice. Yeah. Oh, and Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, My Chemical Romance was definitely discussed. As yeah, well. that, that would also have been a good one. I saw uh, Green Day on their American Idiot tour with um, My Chemical Romance opening up for them at the Bojangles Coliseum. <laughs> Do you that's, remember that's a highlight. when that was like, when that record came out, it felt like a comeback almost even though they didn't go away they just like yeah to my green the, day yeah mm-hmm. yeah because what was the last one before warning i think so Possibly, that was yeah. was that yeah was that i don't know i remember american 2000s? idiot being like 
the one, the first one where I'm kind of like, it's not the same. Oh no, it's Shenanigans, I guess, was the one right before it, it says. Oh, weird. And then Warning was before that. See, I don't even remember Shenanigans. <laughs> was that a comp? Was like an EP or a comp, maybe? I don't know. They look like all regular new songs. I don't know. Unless it was, uh, it says it's a compilation, so. I don't know. It okay. could have been like B side material, though. Right. Yeah, so I guess it probably was like four years before there was a new full length. Mm-hmm. And then Warning was weird because it was like acoustic for the most part. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. I do remember I, I got I got that CD from the library. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My mom had Dookie in her car for some reason before I had even heard of them, and I took it and listened. I'm like, "Where did you? Why do you have this?" And that's how I was introduced to it from my mom. <laughs> it's not even that cool, of a mom. In that regard, she's a very clever musically. I was like, "This is not your music." She, she just, just liked, really probably liked just liked one song. <laughs> that yeah, could have been it. Well, it was also the uh, the Bush record. It was the right. George Bush record. So, like, yeah, maybe oh, she man. was just like, yeah, I love the kids being all punk against the government. <laughs> yeah, that was probably uh, for the biggest record that came out that year, as far as punk music is concerned. I guess, yeah, you mentioned a couple that are kind of in line with the record we're talking about today: the uh, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. Uh, there was and then the Taken Back Sunday one too. Yeah. I forgot was like probably the one other that's very. That's like the Taken Back Sunday record, right? Well, I guess there is some debate. Some people really like the one before, right? The one before yeah. and the one after. But I like um, I forgot the name of it. That one we're talking about with uh, Kiba, oh, not Kiba, um, where you want to be. Yes, is the one that was two thousand four. Is this the one with no? I'm tell all your friends was like the one that I knew of is like the the one I think. Um, yeah, my like we have friends who like who weren't necessarily in this scene who love tell all your friends. So that mm-hmm. that one, make damn sure it was on the record after. That yeah, I think that was louder now. Yeah, yeah that was the mm-hmm. one I was thinking of. That was like my first like not introduction because I definitely had heard songs from before that record, but like that was the one that got like a ton of video play. Yeah, the Make Damn Sure video was pretty awesome. That's what, like, I, I've known about them for a minute, but that record's like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> and it's it's always fun. Uh, Adam Lazar, I think, I don't know if he still lives in Charlotte, but a couple years ago, he moved back into town, and it was just seeing him on the street. Like, you were my, you were my god in high school. Now you're reading at the same place I am. You're at Harris Teeter. <laughs> And John Nolan was living here too for a minute. That was pretty cool. I think he does still live in Charlotte. Does he still live in Charlotte? Yeah, I haven't seen him since. I know one of them moved. I don't know. Um, this is also the year Futures by Jimmy World, which was the is that I forgot. That was God. That would have been another one I could have talked about forever. I think that might be my favorite of theirs. That is I'm, my favorite Jimmy Eat World record. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Bleed American fan for myself, but me too. Futures yeah, love is, it all. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Amazing, yeah. Like they, like clarity too. Yeah, so clarity. Good. Static prevails has good stuff. Like they're mm-hmm. chases light. You know, they're they are a legendary band for a reason. Uh, oh yeah. There's like a string of like perfect records there. The the later material is, you know, it's not it's, it's not, not bad. bad, and it sounds like Jimmy World. They're just but it's, slower. It's moved into the butt rock phase a little bit. <laughs> I remember hearing that, I guess it's Invented, I'm looking at Spotify right now, that was one of the first albums where I heard the song Coffee and Cigarettes, and like the chorus of that song was playing, I'm just like, 
oh man, I don't like feeling <laughs> this when I'm listening to Jimmy World, but you know, it's still it, their worst is still going to be like a good, you know, yeah. well done song in general to me. So that's a good thing. They're one of those bands that, like, regardless of like the album itself, they're going to do the thing that makes you like them. Like it's it's gonna sure. sound like him singing. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a couple, there's a couple more Rock Against Bush uh, yeah. records. We've got Siren Song of the Counterculture by Rise Against. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a Bad Religion record, Empire Strikes First. Mm. Those were the incendiary. <laughs> Sorry if politi- we steered you away from the rest of the list and interrupted you. <laughs> I forgot there's so many albums that came out. Yeah, Dylan was uh, messaging me earlier today. He's like, "Look at this record and this record. I can't believe." Like, <laughs> yeah, why did we pick? <laughs> now I'm thinking that of all these deeply political <laughs> albums. Well, they would have been felt a little dated. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. How do you feel out of all the things that we've stuck with that for this lovely podcast in terms of falling in line of what you usually do? Like, is say anything? Did it fall within it? I guess. Is that oh yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, we've yeah, talked I mean, about My Chemical Romance in mm-hmm. the past. We've talked about Taking Back Sunday, and you know what? That might be why we didn't pick those two. I scrolled through, just didn't want to pick one that was you've already done. You know? Yeah, yeah we like, like we haven't touched Say Anything. That is probably, cool. and this is like the Say Anything record to talk about because I, yes. I guess we can get into it. So I, we gave you 2004, and you picked Is a Real Boy by Say Anything. <laughs> They have other records, but nowhere near as popular or well liked. I guess there's there's fans of what baseball. There's those people who are like, yeah. I was there. I like the first record. <laughs> I like them before they were cool. <laughs> I'm even the self-titled, you know, two yeah. after is still. I really liked that one. And the other I, I really liked in defense of the genre, and I listened to the self-titled nonstop for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. Of course, then I also heard a lot of, I saw a lot of weird comments that said even the 2019 record was good, all very appropriate. I didn't listen to it, so I couldn't tell you if that's true or not. But Yeah, I haven't got on it. <laughs> I think I did want, it's, it was very polarizing, I guess, for the truest of Say Anything fans. Our friend Carl Kuhn, who's in Museum Mouth, was heavily collaborated with him for that album, and I, he kind of 
like he played drums on a few of them and sang on a few mm-hmm. of them and it, that's what made me want to check it out but it it's it's different i honestly don't remember the most of it but is a real boy definitely you know put him on the map and is at most people's first introduction to them i would assume yeah, let me run through some stats on the record real quick. So, sure. it was released August 3rd, 2004 on Doghouse Records. That's a label I hadn't thought about in a long time. <laughs> this is the second album by Say Anything, and the personnel on this record is Max Bemis on vocals, guitar, bass, and keys, and Cody Linder on percussion and drums. There are a few additional musicians on the record as well. Uh, most notably, Casey Presswood from Hot Rod Circuit mm-hmm. uh, plays some additional guitar on the record. And it was produced by Max and Tim O'Hare and Stephen Trask. So, I guess you touched on it a little bit. I usually ask this first thing. Why did you choose this record specifically? I mean, I guess you, you mentioned that it kind of fit with the tone of the show, but... Uh, I assume you wouldn't have picked it unless you uh, were fans of it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you go, Matt. Why um, didn't you pick? I guess it was a, it was a pivotal album for me because that's when I really started to get into like playing music, that time frame. And it just, it just caught me and it always stuck with me. And every time I listen back to it, it just doesn't get old. It's always just good. Everything about it. Yeah, for me, let's see, 2004, we were both like, 14 15 whatever Around early it. high school mm-hmm. yeah so i had i was coming from just pretty much listening and just not being aware of or knowing where to look or know of anything else besides like new metal pretty much i was just fully limbiskitted and <laughs> system of a down and corned along with i mean like eminem and you know all the 1065 alternative rock stuff was just like all i would listen to too and random other stuff like dream theater or whatever randomness but hearing this I was like, uh, wow, Get Sexual 2 is one of like the only two singles that were for it that came out. So that was the first song I ever heard from it You know, um, that kind of became, I don't think memes really existed at that point yet, but I feel like the title alone and like the chorus could be its like own meme if they were a thing back then. So it caught on around, my, around school of like people, have you heard this song? It's like really weird, but funny kind of. It was almost like jokey. Everyone's acting like it was kind of jokey. Mm-hmm. or something but i listened to him like whoa he's like i mean it is it's very it was new for me because it was very tongue-in-cheek and like ironic and that kind of thing but it was like negative thoughts still kind of you know kind of morbid stuff but i was like whoa new metal talked about morbid stuff <laughs> but it said the music sounded like that but you can also have like weird thoughts but say it but it's like happy music that's like upbeat and rocking and i was like whoa that's new so i was like hmm i'm looking into this 2004, I think, was the beginning of us really getting into metalcore and, like, post-hardcore, whatever that even really meant. Like, yeah, I think 2004 is when on that Under Oath album came out. Yeah. Let's set it all off. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was the year we went to our first, like, show like that. We went and saw Demon Hunter with Dead Poetic... And Haste Dead the Day. Poetic. Oh, shit. Haste the Day. And it yeah. was Dead Poetic fronted by Skylar Kroom from uh, He Is Legend because the singer of Dead Poetic had to, like, go home for something. A wedding. Like, a <laughs> wedding in the middle of their tour <laughs> for, like, a couple of dates. So Skylar filled in, and he, like, didn't know any of the words. <laughs> Beautiful. 
so that was like a that was a pivotal like year for us because like that was four bands right there that I was now introduced to. You so, mentioned that that Mastodon record. I was really into that around this time period. Um, yeah, I probably more into twenty fifteen, but yeah. I wish I knew at the time. I found out about them so much later, but it's great. Two thousand five. Well, I'm. <laughs> I said twenty fifteen. I'm getting my. I'm thinking this is like five years ago, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. I still think of two, the year two thousand. Still, my basis of like how long ago was nineteen hundred? Oh, a hundred years. Obviously, nope. You got got him twenty more years on us. <laughs> there was a tweet that was going around that was like 1980 how long ago was that and they're like 20 years they're like oh, that was 40 <laughs> years ago <laughs> weird <laughs> yeah having a 2000 i guess a new millennium is kind of throws off our uh, perception no, of time. It was such a beautiful even number couldn't it just <laughs> stayed there and not changed <laughs> yeah my original introduction to say anything was probably the video for wow i can get sexual too it's funny because that song doesn't come out until like two years after this ep or this album mm -hmm. really? it was it yeah. wasn't one of the singles for it like before it came out it was when so like the record came out on doghouse it sold like twenty thousand copies or something like that or maybe even higher than that i have the number written down here yeah twenty thousand copies um and then they wound up getting signed to sony and so Sony reissued it in 06 with like a bunch of bonus tracks. I think they combined it. Oh, so that's what I'm looking at on Spotify is that reissue yeah. probably. Okay. Yeah. Because when you picked it and I went to listen to it, I was like, an hour and a half. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, RB. And I was like, oh, wait, these are bonus tracks. I don't have to listen to this. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember seeing the video for Wild Can Get Sexual too, And uh, it was on Fused. We watched mm -hmm. it on Fuse. Oh, yeah. Got me some fees. Steven's untitled rock show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. My initial opinion of that song, though, was I hated it. <laughs> I always found that song grating. And I, and I don't know the specific parts about it that really drove me crazy. I don't know. It... it I kind of feel like this whole record is kind of like that to me. I saw a review or a comment that said, um, the first comment was, uh, said that this album is really fucking annoying, but there are some really good songs on here as well. And I was like, that's what it is. <laughs> it's a simultaneously <laughs> annoying it's, record with good songs on it. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that you hated, um, well, I get sexual too, because when we were talking about it in the band chat, our singer was like, it's the only song I know, and it makes me not want to listen to this band ever. <laughs> it, it definitely it didn't help me. <laughs> yeah, my um, first, like, yeah. Alive with the Glory of Love is what, like, hooked me. And, like, why I get sexual was like, oh, that's the goofy fun song. Yeah. But, yeah, right. Alive is There's, definitely the one that's like, oh, I get it. There's definitely some thread of slight obnoxiousness and kind of just over the topness with this level of ego that kind of he has but to me it was it like the context was always super important because it's like i mean reading about it i get i didn't even remember this till just looking at the wikipedia before this again i mean it was supposed to be like a rock opera with characters and a cast mm -hmm. and all this stuff so i'm trying to view review it with the lens of like you know these are characters and the irony is this whole meta thing that i mean with song names like 
it's a metaphor fool like there's so many levels of like <laughs> who is speaking which character like what are the who are the thoughts actually about like what does he mean here but then even just the book the vocal, I mean, sonically, it's just if you don't like his voice, you're going to not like his voice. And I could see how, wow, I can get sexual too, being the first song you hear of it turning people off because it's mm. like almost jokey. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's Max Mimis's voice doing that song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's the just a storm. If you, like, like you said, if you don't like his voice, you're not, you're definitely not going to like it. And mm-hmm. it's, say anything is, a very divisive band <laughs> um like and it, to the point where there's not many people in the middle like no one's really lukewarm on it it's, True. it's usually pretty strong reaction yeah, either it's a way. Good like you either love it or hate it um i'm not crazy about it <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad we had you both re-listen to these songs you hate for this <laughs> all the words in my mouth that the Worthy of letting out Banded together To form a makeshift militia And hurled bloodily through my tongue And my teeth And I stood proud in the gallery With my open socket of a mouth For them to see They all just laughed Said that boy He That boy's got in the interest of giving it a fair shake um like what justin said there are a lot of really good songs on here Mm -hmm. and there are even on a lot of the songs that i don't like overall there's interesting parts like the way everything is written is like you can have a great riff in a song that's kind of average with a lot of these the songs on this record so it was Mm -hmm. it was a wild ride even within each individual song it's funny you say about riffs, because for me, like, another thing is that for me, just listening to anything for the first time, I'm listening for the music. Like, lyrics have kind of always, like, and including vocal melody in the music, but the lyrics, literally the words that they're saying have always, for whatever reason, kind of fallen secondary to me, and that's usually a second pass, like, to be like, okay, what was he actually talking about? If I liked the music, now I can investigate that. But there's rare bands where 
you know, what they're saying is just so a main part of it, or I just thought it was so interesting that I'm like, oh, I'm actually noticing the lyrics on the first listen of this. And this was one where, to me, it's actually the main reason I like them. The music has, this entire album, there's some riffs and stuff, but for me, it's not nearly about the music. It's all kind of regular pop, punky, punk, whatever, general music. I like the synths. That was like a new kind of ingenuitive thing in terms of like, just this genre, I guess there wasn't being done a ton. Maybe that's totally not true. But for me, it, it was really one of the only bands where lyrics are the main actual draw mm. for me and the what really caught me. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a record that you, you notice lines from, like, very quickly. Like, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't tend to notice lyrics in a song the first go-round, and... Or even the second or third. Sometimes it takes me like a, a you know a while to be like, okay, I really like this music. Uh, I should look and see what he's singing about, or you know. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't want to accidentally like something that <laughs> that I don't agree with. Um, and his, I guess his vocal delivery, as unique as it is, it definitely stands out um, from the music. But I, I do kind of disagree that the music was just kind of standard pop punk, though. There's yeah. a lot of parts to these songs. Like, yeah, I was what I was gonna say. Um, that's another thing that caught me into it. Like when I was learning to play music, like I will listen to these songs, and they have so many parts, and they're all different. But they're all part of one song, and they are just like your typical like Green Day three chords, straight eighths kind of a thing. There's rhythm. There's all kinds of different instruments, and they're all woven together into I'm not gonna say operas, but the idea was to write a rock opera at some point. Right, that's what he was going for. Uh, uh, super but, originally, apparently, yeah. Yeah, like I don't know. And it comes across. You're, you're right. Wait, I guess all I'm, I play drums. I don't know how to talk about anything besides drums, really. <laughs> Musical <laughs> stuff. But when you just said, you know, the three chords ishness, that's all I meant in terms of not doing anything, you know, super crazy technical, whatever. But the arrangement, you're right. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of what is. That's what yeah, stuck out musically song more is than like the it's, notes. its own album. Like, when I listen to um, Belt, like, it starts off, like, heavy, then it gets, like, happy pop chorus, then it has the huge gang vocals at the end. It's just like, you went through a whole journey in a four-minute song. Mm -hmm. You don't see that too, too often, especially in that realm of pop punk. It's like prog emo or something. (laughs) You, You know, yeah, musically, it, or, yeah, musically in terms of, like, the arrangement, and the, the song structure, it is really, really unusual for the genre at the time um, for anything emo, pop punk. Like, I I would compare musically to, like, Dismemberment Plan or maybe a little bit of what Cursive was doing earlier. So I, I feel like those were probably influences more so than your what was going into a lot of what other bands were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. I bet that comes from the idea that it was going to be like a rock opera. Because to me, it does. It If you would have told me it was a rock opera, I would have believed it. Mm-hmm. It's like the way the songs are arranged. Yeah, it, it is that thing where it's like, now here's a new part of the song that's like going to go for the rest of the song. Like It's not necessarily the same as the verse in the chorus, but right. I, it has a it, yeah, it does have a theatric feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I was gonna say that's one of my favorite parts about this album is every song is theatrical, with the lyrics being so imperative and the music being so bombastic. 
it really and even just feel three like... part harmonies coming like oh, oh, oh like mm. it's straight up yeah theatrical yeah which it kind of makes sense because the one of the producers was like the writer of Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which was like Whoop. kind of a big musical oh, yeah. in the two thousands. Um, I'm not even a big musical fan, and I like that one. So like, yeah, Stephen Trask. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, he went to. He was a music director for. Oh, because they met at Wesleyan. At I guess Squeezebox. That's, that's what it was. Okay. In the. Uh, huh. Yeah. To, to me, it's interesting that he... I never listened to baseball, so I can't say what that record does as far as songwriting. I know he was really young when that record came out, 1920. Um, so I don't know if... Yeah. I was going to say, wow, a long career. <laughs> he was 19 or 20. No. Uh, so I, I imagine I've never listened to that record, but I imagine it's probably more in the vein of the genre, you know, the scene, emo, pop punk sort of That's combination. Been there. So long, I don't even remember. Yeah, I can remember last time I listened to that album. Menorah Majora, I remember more. So that was like, uh, what was that? Oh, okay. So disc baseball is disc one of this thing, and then disc two was Menorah Majora. No, nope. This is some early rarities compared. Never mind. Ignore it. <laughs> There's so many different versions. Yeah, so it it makes sense why like that. Uh, this record would have been on Doghouse if that was what that record sounded like, because Doghouse was doing Get Up Kids and Hot Water Music and mm. All American Rejects. Like this feels like a major label record, even though it did come out in Doghouse first. I mean, Sony picked it up later, but it does have the ambition of of like a more major label record. Which is impressive, you know, for this to be your second record and you go, like, you plan to write a, a rock opera for it. Like, I can't imagine that uh, Get Up Kids were going to do that, you know. I don't I see how they're doing the, a rock opera. At the expense of just his mental health, it seems like. Like, even reading back, I totally forgot about all the stuff of the whole, like, he thought a mockumentary was happening and it was, everyone's filming him and stuff. And so I think it looks like that was the reason he kind of scrapped the whole cast and theatrical part as much in terms of literal characters and storyline and stuff and kind of focus more on the music but you no matter what he wasn't going to be able to get rid of some theatricality to it that had to stay mm-hmm. in there i mean i imagine the songs were written for the most part too so mm-hmm. yeah maybe the cast is gone but it's still written like those songs i guess well and the characters are still there yeah right I mean, all of these songs are character songs mm-hmm. which it's really, uh, I mentioned this to Justin earlier when we were talking before the show, but um, I, as much as I'm not a fan of it, I am really impressed by his ability to write characters, like to mm-hmm. write realistic people into these songs, and they're not good people necessarily. <laughs> um, and there's some, he's able to have that distance between himself and those characters, and he can work through things and process things with those characters. And I'm really impressed for him to do that at the age that he was. And being that he was playing in a genre that was that has often been criticized for being too autobiographical and and too earnest and people are just dumping their, you know, their real private feelings into songs, um, for him to work through them in a different way is is really impressive. And the record begins with a song of rebellion. 
to the song uh the molly Connolly song mm-hmm. i was like oh fuck this dude like <laughs> i was like oh man this song is gross and then like i read later i was like oh there is no molly Connolly." i was like oh okay <laughs> right okay, Even this thing, this a... <laughs> there's always been an element of like you know i don't not gonna lie there's just when you hear the ross words of i like to kill 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 little girls or Mm. like (laughs) you don't want to say goodbye or i'll soak you in formaldehyde or like get in my bed i want to kill you you know it's like there's always going to be some (laughs) raw reaction to that and i think you know the kind of edginess shock value thing was definitely more of a thing in the mid 2000s than it would be allowed to or looked at favorably now obviously too but it's for me his was always kind of different in terms of yeah it's one, it's a character. Two, he's addressing how all of this stuff is terrible. And, you know, the whole comment I would think is that it is not a good thing to be admired or anyone should ever do or anything. And it just seems like he's at least aware of it. And, he, he, I mean, he brings up therapy and stuff in just much different ways than it seems like other dudes singing similar things were like, just like, no, this is me. This is real. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is how I really feel. All right. Right, and like, I'm not trying to make excuses or anything. Even that this it makes me feel gross or so. I don't know. I just took it as like he's aware of what he's doing, or so I thought. Well, yeah, the, he, and he's distanced himself from a lot of this record. Right, uh, like I know recently, the last few years, like they specifically said like they weren't going to play "Wow, I Can Get Sexual" too anymore, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. probably other songs from this record. Um, so there's he's his awareness has continue to develop and mature, right. which I think is at least yeah. this guy's not actually the creep that a lot of these guys were. Right. Yeah, I, and know. I know he was just going through so much back then too. It was uh, right. his being bipolar and all the other stuff. Right. And on Say Anything, the self-titled one, the song uh, Mara and Me, I went to that one because I realized how like, what is the lyric on there? Um, 
it's like, you know, I can't keep writing the same damn songs about self-deprecation and be ironic all the time. Mm-hmm. Like He's like, yeah, no, that shit, no. Nah. So, yeah, it's good to address that. Yeah, because, like, 2004, emo, especially at this time, doesn't have a great reputation. Uh, you know, we got Simple Plan put out records this year. This is the year that like, Kill Whitney Dead put out one of their biggest mm-hmm. records. <laughs> Speaking of awful misogynistic yeah. bands. Uh, <laughs> but, like, and I do remember reading about, like, probably my early 20s when, like, a lot of this stuff was being looked at through the lens of, this is, this, these lyrics are kind of fucked up. Like, listening to this record, I was like, is this one of those records? And then reading about how a lot of it is more ironic, like, they're written from a point of view that's not necessarily his own. Like, another... A lot of it- well, and a lot of it was commentary on the genre. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who, you know, would say and deserve to be able to say that just, you know, saying the things alone enough itself is like not cool, no matter the context or, you know, layers of irony or anything. And I think it's good to be discussed, at least all these views, you know? Yeah, I think. Context is really important when it comes to a writer's intent. But yeah, music, it it's a it's an art form that when it's out there, people will take it and interpret it how they want to. And now, is that the writer's fault? No, it's not the writer's fault. People are just going to do what they want to with the music. Maybe you know, there's an audience. You yeah. know someone's going to receive it. Like, when you write something, you know that someone's going to read it and and, and do something with it that you might not like. So... I think more importantly is it's not that you shouldn't write the songs. It's just that maybe you should let your intent be really well known. I don't know. It, it's hard to say because art is art, and it is like it's up to you to you know express yourself how you want. So who's to say you know what's the proper way to express yourself? But I guess you have to do release stuff with that in mind. To be it's like, complicated combo <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's a thin line every time. Mm-hmm. And we are probably not <laughs> the best <laughs> equipped to have that conversation. Always learning. Yeah. Trying to. Yeah. Uh, I guess. But uh, this all stemmed from you saying, like, oh, oh is this going to be gross? But I understand those thoughts for sure because I have the same thoughts and still do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely was like, oh, fuck this. Like the Molly Connolly song and then the one where he, like, says pussy a bunch of times the feudal i was like oh about the old people what Mm -hmm. are you doing and then i was like oh okay it's not his point of view again but it's just like i'm not reading the lyric book as i'm listening to the record so it's like yeah there's just lines that'll jump out at you just being like is that cool right (laughs) right uh i will say though that uh dylan i think is probably less of a fan of this record than me I listened to so I like I knew that one single first, and then I had some friends who were like, "Is the real boy is a really good record?" And I was like, "Really, that band?" And so then I remember in my earlier twenties, like going back and listening to it and being like, "Hey, this is a good album." I like, I I enjoyed it then, but it wasn't one that like kind of became one of my records that I would come back to multiple times. So it was interesting to come back and listen to it again with like whatever whole new set of, you know, tastes that I have now. And I will say I do enjoy the first four tracks quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of all are really strong songs. Self, Whoa, Writhing South, 
Alive with the Glory of Love. I'm like, mm-hmm. lots of moving parts to those songs. Each of those songs has something in it, and I'm like, I don't like that. But <laughs> there are, <laughs> there are like a majority of the songs that I like. I'd say probably beginning with Yellow Cat, which is a fine song, Yellow Cat, Red Cat. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's just slower. Um, the Yeah, that is kind of where I lose interest in it. But even then, a lot of these songs have something in them that I'm like, oh, I like that. I like that little synth intro on Chia Like. And, you know, mm-hmm. I like I like the gang vocals on Slowly Through a Vector, you know, like, so there's definitely something I enjoy on most every song on the record i forgot another thing what made me just straight up want to listen more after hearing it was i mean uh, specifically after wow i can get sexual to hearing just him saying uh she took off her underwear my i forgot all the rules my rabbi taught me at the old shul being jewish it was like the first time i had ever heard anyone mention any specifically jewish thing in any piece of music ever so i'm like dang that's cool too like just hearing that being said and alive with the glory of love too about his inspired by his parents surviving the holocaust like stuff like that i was like oh shit there can be mainstream quote-unquote music talking about jewish stuff that's cool too so that is that was another reason i was like i'm at least gonna give all of this a shot and listen because that's cool yeah especially ones that are not adam sandler (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's no hanukkah song but right I thought uh, Alive with the Glory of Love was an interesting song. Like, it's, yeah, it's about his grandparents surviving the Holocaust. But then there's, right. like, references to sex in the first verse. Right. And like, you know what? You know the site Genius that, like, shows lyrics and then people's interpretation of what those lyrics mean and all that? So I did that for, like, every song on this album. And for that one, because you, you're right, you think, like, really? And the work camps are talking about just, like, wanting to fuck you right where you're standing? <laughs> like, can we say that on this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and but you know, I so in the little sub notes on the right where people put like their little historical definitions and all that, it was like you know how sex was banned because it would lead to creating more Jews, and that's it's not something they wanted. And so it, it did make more sense about how like that act. I mean, he put it raunchly to be kind of the tongue in cheekiness, I guess. But uh, I do kind of get that you know like having sex right there would in itself, you know, be this like rebellious act and that kind of thing. So I kind of got that angle more combined with just accepting that he's kind of raunchy and jokey. Yeah. 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 That would be an act of defiance in that exact situation. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The weird, like it was his grandparents. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was always that. So even then though, I guess like he is, he is the character of his grandpa or whatever. Like there's so many. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would. I almost wonder, like, how different this record would have been if he'd like been able to do the full rock opera aspect of it. If it would yeah. have been like much more clear. But then, would it have been as successful? I can't even picture what that would have been like. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine so. Like, I mean, yeah. well, it would have cut if they had. I wonder if they would have waited to release it. Because it would have been came out the same year as American Idiot, which was definitely a rock opera. Mm-hmm. So and that then, would have been an interesting, like, you can't release it because you're going to look like you just copied Green Day, even though clearly you were working on it for just as long as Green Day right. was probably working on American Idiot. Maybe even thought. longer because 
I think isn't the story that American Idiot was like they wrote it really quickly because they lost the record they before lost that the record that they had just recorded or yeah, something. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I remember that now. It was stole like the record they, they had recorded was stolen by some by a producer, right? Or not a producer, oh, but like they wrote uh, a whole another full album and rewrote that it's not the same album at all. Right. As far as we know, well, I don't know how much I didn't know that. similarity there is. There man I could see maybe American Idiot being the one song that you would keep because mm-hmm. it, it felt the most distinctly Green Day on that record. But I yeah, I do remember an that. idiot got stolen. Quit. <laughs> Let's write it right. We, we have two options. We can do <laughs> just re-record all of the songs. Yeah, why would or... you not just do that? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how much truth there is to that story. I That's funny. I, I never heard that. That's funny, though. I've been meaning to research that. I Someone remember, knows the answer. I do remember him, them saying, so thanks to that guy, because this record was like our most successful in years. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't they actually make like a play play production yeah. out of it? Yeah, they did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, if you pushed that record back, I mean, 2005 would have been, it, they could have... Uh. Because Black Parade doesn't come out until 2006, the other big rock opera sure. of the emo pop punk years, which I don't know why everyone was writing rock operas. <laughs> well, like Coheed and Cambria, that's like every album they released. That was yeah. their thing. Concept album. And they were doing that in 03. Oh, yeah. But they're rushing. Comic fans. books and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I guess they're thing. weird. They're a little bit more weird. And they were more inspired by. Actual prog rock, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the difference yeah. between a concept album and a rock opera is like very one different. is like it's very different type of nerds. It's like Dungeons <laughs> and Dragon nerds and like musical theater nerds. Or say anything stories or things that were like that I that always jumped out to me. Do you remember a couple of years ago when um, Max put out like a tweet saying like we're looking for artists to design merch for us and uh, you'll you'll get rewarded with uh, uh, 
merch, like 20 shirts. That's what it was. It was like 20 shirts and tickets to shows and exposure. And oh, God. <laughs> they weren't no. going to pay them for it. They were just going to. I know he puts his foot in his mouth all the time <laughs> on Twitter. He's constantly saying some stupid shit. Then he, like, walks back. Yeah, I thought we were past the free art thing. That's not great to hear. I distinctly remembered, like, every artist I follow online was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I can't buy pay my rent with exposure. Like, <laughs> All right. I guess you can only hope that he, you know, think, is open to changing and thinking differently, as I would think he would be about that. He strikes me as someone who is. He, you know, he's disowning lyrics and songs, you know, not playing songs anymore. So, mm-hmm. and then, like, in, what, 2017, Dylan, you sent me, like, that, it was, like, a Brooklyn Vegan article that was, it was, like, him calling out, like, misogyny and predators in the, like, well, I think it was in light of, of the Brandon Lacey yeah, the brand new, brand yeah, new, yeah, um, accusations or so uh, he was specifically calling for like being implicit and like you mm-hmm. know really fucked up dudes in there like taking advantage of younger right. fans and so like he he seems like a cool guy like he and he gets it for the most part so I mean we do he does have like you know mental health issues I mean he, that can't be ignored. So I guess giving him the benefit of the doubt is probably best every you know in yeah. every instance. We're just like let's wait and see what he says after that. <laughs> yeah. mm. I mean, yeah. yeah, many factors. Yeah, I do like. I just wrote little tidbits if you don't mind me. Like yeah, little other other thoughts. One thing I, I just love wordplay, straight up, honorary and the like. And so I mean, right off the bat. I don't know why I had not realized this, or maybe I did but forgot, but even Belt, even the first song, first lyrics, song's called Belt. He, I didn't even really ever think of it. Like, uh, let's see, well, after the intro, okay, I wouldn't sell my belt to industry, so they carded me, and they carded me off. I always like, you know, the obvious carded and carted, like, that's a a homophone kind of wordplay, but even Belt, I didn't think about Belt, like, belting your voice i've always thought of it just as his belt i'm like okay but he wouldn't sell his belt his voice to industry <laughs> <laughs> like i did, i hadn't thought about it that way before yeah Making that's probably my that favorite belt song around my album. waist all he's got is like his voice was whatever it was his father's lunch which i also didn't know before this that his father was like a what was it hollywood producer of some kind or something or some music i can't remember something like that yeah, there's just I love wordplay, and so I respect that of his too. Even whoa, like songs called whoa, but it's like whoa, like W O H, just a refrain. Love it. I uh, I I didn't know that about his dad. That kind of makes some of the songs make a little bit more sense. Cause I hope I didn't make that up. He's talking a lot about like the scene and the industry, and like definitely was like it was odd to me because I was like, who were you in '04? Like to like really be like tied into any of that kind of stuff. Like, so he would be one. twenty years old in '04. I think he was. So I think he went to like, yeah Wesley and where he met that producer you were talking about. And then it seems like college is where the demo started, and then severe bipolar stuff also started to come out more. Yeah, there's a lot of songs in here talking about like hipsters. Like, admit it is like <laughs> <laughs> to me that's the most eye rolling song. Like. I was just like, Ugh. songs about like hipsters and hypocrisy and stuff like that. Always kind of, I used to love that kind of song when I was younger, but like as I've gotten older, I'm just like, who cares? 
<laughs> Why are you say, still worried about what other in people? In 2004, I thought that was like, yeah, tell those posers. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he burns them so bad. Like, it was so hard <laughs> to me. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and I was on the same page. Yeah. Right. Like, it's definitely something you feel in your earlier years, but like, now me now as a 34 year old i'm not like i don't care you <laughs> <laughs> got block buttons and mute buttons mm-hmm. now and stuff i guess so. <clears throat> i saw that he uh max is married to sherry dupree sherry. yep from isley mm-hmm. who was previously married married to chad gilbert what uh, newfound glory i forgot about that yeah part. i didn't know that who is now married to Haley williams <laughs> I don't know. No, no, not anymore. That's right. Yeah, they got divorced. Yeah, that that's weird. So... I saw them um, a few years ago. Uh, Max and Sherry, they were doing. It was like I think it was called Perma. It was um their little uh, family band. They came to UNCC and um did do a little acoustic show. And the Perma songs were cool, but everyone was there just for the say anything stuff. And you could tell that's what they wanted. So like <laughs> towards the end of the set, she just walked off and East. Max has started to play Say Anything songs. Which I guess is super doable because it's his yeah. songs. There's no one else. There was a drummer on this record, you know. Mm. So it's all him. He gets to own it and keep it forever and do whatever he wants with them. I really liked, I've seen him a few times. He would have Isley open up. I mean, it makes sense. They had kids together. It's like, why not just tour together and take the kids with you, not have to pay a babysitter and, you know, logistic reasons why it makes sense. But it was really great to like there are songs she's on on the self-titled like singing with him mm-hmm. in the recording even and so on stage them both singing them together i was like oh my god this is adorable i love this <laughs> i remember there was like a was there a kickstarter for them so are you thinking of the song shop there was something about they wanted it was more because they brought their kids on tour with them it oh. was more of like to pay for to yeah, to pay stuff. for <laughs> having the kids on the road with them. That's interesting. That was like I yeah, remember I being like, that. What? Why don't they just stay home? I was like, oh wait, you're both musicians and you're touring together. So I guess it makes sense. You'd want to bring your kids with you. It's yeah, just, I've seen weirder things to have GoFundMe's for. I guess. Right. Like, it's how different is that version of what homeschooling than you know, <laughs> staying in a house in the suburbs? I mean, at least you get to see the country or world depending on how big the tour is so right i remember i remember seeing that it's weird he's he's popped up in weird spots on the internet as far as like stuff he's done (laughs) (laughs) yep i read that song shop thing though i've always admired him for attempting even that thing he would open up a thing for i think it was it was hundreds of songs you could pay him and he'll write either like a you know half uh, like a minute long thing or a full song for you about whatever you want it to be about. That would, I don't know why you would do that to yourself. Like, that no. must have been so much work. Yeah, but yeah, I heard a I few imagine. people posted, and it's like, this is, he, he, he's either just a song machine, which he probably also is too, a song machine of just, you know, melodies that just, but like talking about what the person said to talk about pumping out. And that's really impressive to me. Did he do all of the ones that were like, paid for or was it like yeah like, he wrote he would write you a song every single one and he's done it a yeah. few a years i think and each one's like a hundred or something songs it's wow nuts mm-hmm. not nuts sorry i shouldn't say nuts that's not that's ambitious right it's yeah it is a lot to take on um i think <laughs> i think ryan rockwell from mixtapes tried to do the same thing and he did like five 
yeah. and quit. Like he got <laughs> so many that he was like, I can't do this. I really can't. <laughs> he wrote one about our friend uh, Corey breaking the goddamn stereo. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. He so like one of our friends had a kind of connection with him. And like, so he got his like requ- song requests in. So he got like three 30 second songs from Ryan. And yeah, one of them was about our friend Corey breaking the, uh, the uh, steering, uh, not the steering wheel, but like he punched his steering wheel and then went out in like the dashboard. <laughs> While we were on our way too fast. Like we were like oh, in, out in Jacksonville when he did. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I forgot about that. I'll have to ask him to dig that song out. <laughs> hmm. Any other thoughts? Um, does anyone want, want to get into Max Bemis's uh, run on Fool Killer and uh, comics? Comics. Uh, <laughs> I, I was he did so excited when he, Polarity was the first thing I think that he did as like a published. Well, I don't know about first thing, but it was called Polarity about like a guy who was bipolar, but like when he was either end of being bipolar was like a superpower, and it like straight up gave him superpowers. I was like, this is really. I just was getting into comics at the time and. Like this is an interesting idea, and I haven't followed a ton with the other stuff he's written, but I like that he's a comic writer too. Yeah, did he do some with Moon Knight? Isn't like the big thing. He yeah, did. I think he did write Moon Knight. He did recently. do a, a run of Moonlight, Moon Knight, which yeah. I forgot he did an X Men miniseries called Worst X Man Ever that I really loved. Oh yeah, for real. I never read that, but I remember that it was like a five issue miniseries, and like the kid is like like a teenager, and like his only power is he can explode. But he can only explode one time because it will kill him. So, like, the story <laughs> is just, like, him trying to decide. is like, is now the time I get my power? The one time I can do it? And oh, that's <laughs> It was a really good miniseries. I forgot about that. I should dig that out and reread it. Yeah, I'm looking at... He did do uh, a run on Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Which, I should go find that and read that. I would be... I feel like he would write that character well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember sure. reading Polarity, the instant reading. I'm like, oh my, if I didn't even know who wrote this, like the, the way he writes stuff is so obviously him. I probably could have guessed anyway. <laughs> even comics, it's like lyrics almost, but like not rhyming or music. Yeah. Done. It is funny because it is like it's two different skills. Like being able to write really good lyrics is not the same as writing a narrative. So. Right, it was definitely a lot of dialogue that just is not how people would say words in a conversation, but I guess mm-hmm. a lot of comic art writers can't help but you, know, you gotta take some liberties. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why uh, Claudio from uh, Coheed has not really had any Marvel Comics work. <laughs> it's, it's all yeah, just... I don't know if that level of meta would work in... <laughs> it's just his stuff that gets published. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gerard yeah. Way... That's true. All of his stuff most of what he's done has just been his own stuff because I don't think he's done like he did like a, a Spider Verse like right. one issue. Yeah. Edge that edge of Spider Verse. Yeah. It was it's always funny to see like musicians do comics. Especially like big comics like that too. Like mm-hmm. big publishers. I feel like Umbrella Academy, how he writes that though, is farther away from how he writes the the lyrics of my chemical romance songs than Max B at least I've only read Polarity, it was just one miniseries, but it was farther away than I felt like Mac it was like it was him when he was yeah. like that comic issue, which is funny to me. Yeah. I mean editors take a take you know, have a role to play too, so mm-hmm. I bet in something creator owned it's going to sound more authentically him than 
something. It's like, That's uh, this is true. a corporate-owned character. We need him to sound a certain way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're exactly right about that, actually. <laughs> um, I think I've covered everything. Yeah. In my cool. notes. Um, I'm almost out of battery life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we should probably wrap up then. Um, thanks a lot for doing the show. Uh, where can we find Petrov's music online? Buy some uh, physical medias, all that good stuff. Let's see. Spotify is pretty easy. P E T R O V. Um, you can buy stuff from the Self Aware Records website. Yeah, I think both of our band camps uh, have our EP now. I think we might have stopped. We ran out of the shirts to be enough to be able to put up online. But hit us up. Get your shirt if we got the size. Um, but it's Petch. Let's see. Bandcamp is. Uh, well, it's all Petrov CLT for Charlotte. P E T R O V C L T. Uh, for Bandcamp, Twitter, Instagram, and I believe Facebook as well. That's that. I'll put links to all that in the show notes as well. And uh, lastly, I sent this in the email to you. Um, you have a charity. <laughs> I dropped my phone. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, uh, do you have any charities or nonprofits you'd like to specifically call out? Because we like to uh, ask people that. I wrote a few, Matt. You got any? Um, this, the Save Our Stages petition, does that count as a charity? For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's pretty important right now. Yeah. Yeah, write your senators about saving little venues. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Every week there seems like there's a new story about a historic venue shutting down. It's like, mm-hmm. man, when we come out of this, it's going to be a very different place for live music in a lot of ways. But We don't want a bunch of Live Nation no. venues oh God. to take no, over. No, 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 no. We <laughs> no, don't no, want no. that to be the only option. Nope. Uh, let's see, there's that. I was just going to say to donate and spread the word about this Georgia runoff race coming. Yeah. Up. Uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. Let's get it. I just saw a headline that said um, Joe Biden's Georgia confirmed. So it's <laughs> Georgia. <laughs> you just have to hope he uh, hasn't got enough sycophants in the Pentagon to uh, do a military coup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah just replace elected. It's getting wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was also going to say directly straight up to just Black Lives Matter Global Network and then any international crises of the millions happening as well to also keep in mind. Yeah. Those are, those are yes. the only specific ones, the first two. Yes, yes. Cool. I'll put those in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for doing the show. Uh, we thanks really for having us. Coming on. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us. Sorry to make you talk about an album you both do not like. No, no. It's a big <laughs> record. It's worth talking about, regardless of this is why we have guests, honestly, because yeah. if it was just me and Dylan, we would go, this record stinks. I don't like it. And yeah. So <laughs> I do want to I do want to throw out there. Um, I thought the song An Orgy of Critics was great. Like, great. <laughs> I wish the whole record sounded like that because they make a great hardcore band. <laughs> like that That's one song point. was totally different, but it was great. I thought it was cool. That's a good point. It's a good note to in the show on i guess <laughs> but uh yeah thanks a lot